0: Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, slap someone next to you and tell them he's going to preach to you today. And uh, let's get into the word this morning. And that might be true more than you know. (laughs) Hey, uh, we have been in a series for the last couple of uh, weeks entitled Heart Attack, and we've been talking about some of the most common enemies of our hearts in this life. And our key scripture for this series has been Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, which says, guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. Uh, We know this to be true. Uh, God has spoken it uh, all throughout his word, but The the, the condition of our heart ultimately does determine the direction of our lives. If we allow some some negative stuff in there, some bitterness in there, we allow some callousness in there, it will lead us to a dark and scary place. And so the Bible admonishes us to guard our hearts, to make sure that we don't let certain things in there so that we don't end up somewhere we do not want to be. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about some of those common things, some common mistakes, some common enemies that we let into our hearts. And week one, we talked about how to cure a calloused heart or a hard heart. Uh, In week two, we talked about how to heal a hoarding heart. Uh, In week three, we had a guest speaker who ruined all of our creative titles for me. And uh, he talked about how to deal with heart sickness and delay. And then we brought it back last week because I was back on the stage and I needed to bring the creative titles back. And so we talked about how to purge a prideful heart. And uh, today we're going to land this series so that we can talk about Jesus and his birth and all that stuff next week. Uh, But today I want to talk to you about how to free an unforgiving heart. Yeah, that's about the uh, the extent of what I expected. We're going to talk about forgiveness this morning. I know it's not a fun topic, especially as you prepare to hang out with a bunch of those relatives over the next couple of days. That you all know what I'm talking about, right? It's going to get a little awkward, and there's that that uncle that you know. Yeah, we've all got that guy, right, for sure. But what better time to talk about forgiveness as we prepare ourselves for the season? Because here's the deal, the Bible says a lot about forgiveness. It's a big deal, it's a major concept in scripture. We have to understand what the Bible tells us to do, how to practice forgiveness because God is very clear and there's there's some warnings in the word about what happens if we do not choose to forgive other people, if we do not choose to forgive ourselves, if we don't truly understand this concept. And as the proverb foretold, if the condition of our hearts determines the direction of our life, you do not want unforgiveness to get lodged in your heart because it will lead you to a very dark, scary, and bitter place. And I don't want that for anybody in the room. So uh, as we jump in today, we're going to look at a parable in Matthew chapter 18. And uh, we've done this many times before as we go to the word, but in case you're new today or uh, you haven't heard our our spiel on parables, let me let you in on uh, what a parable is supposed to accomplish so that we can all start from the the same foundation, if you will. Uh, A parable is a fictional story that displays a spiritual truth. And Jesus used parables and stories all the time as he taught the word. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Mark that Jesus never taught without telling stories. So if you ever think that me telling stories gets old, just remember, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. All right. That's, that's why we tell stories here. And the reason Jesus told stories is because he understood that if you could see yourself inside what he was teaching, if you could identify with a character in the story, that you'd be all the more likely to apply that spiritual truth to your life. And so when you read a parable, remember this isn't just a story about some fictional guy somewhere, it's really supposed to be a story about you. And so when you go to a parable, there's two questions you need to ask yourself, two questions that I'm gonna ask you to ask yourself today. Who is God in the story, and who am I in the story? Who is God in the story, and who am I in the story? So Matthew chapter 18, let's get in. Oh, i got my wife's hair in my Bible. There we go, okay. Matthew, I hope it's my wife's hair in my Bible. (laughs) Matthew chapter 18. I have daughters too, okay? I don't know where your heads went, all right? Inappropriate. Verse 21. I love our church. Y'all need to get saved. <laughs> Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. P.S. Jesus was not advocating 490 offenses and then you can sign off on somebody. This was supposed to mean, hey, you gotta continue to forgive people. And then in verse 23, he enters into this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master, and he begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Which, by the way, would have been absolutely impossible. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Sound familiar? Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. But the king called in the man he had forgiven and he said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. In other words, forever, because he never could. Verse 35, that is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. Ouch. Here's what I want to talk about today, how to free an unforgiving heart. We're going we're to come face to face with a couple of questions over the next few moments. Some, some questions that we're going to have to address, as we've done in many weeks before, that uncomfortable moment where you're forced to, to search your heart and ask things like, is there anyone in my life I haven't forgiven? Is there anyone, including myself, that I've chosen to withhold forgiveness from? Questions like, what is God's standard for forgiveness? And what happens if I refuse to extend that to other people? And I want to invite you today, keep your heart open. I know this is an uncomfortable subject, but it's a massive one that we have to get right as the church. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it has the power to change us. And I ask for a soft heart today for every single person sitting in this room. May maybe we be willing and able to receive not from a man on a stage in a flannel shirt, but from you, Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts, soften us, transform us before we leave this place and help us to truly be willing to extend what's been extended to us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Um, I was reminded this week as uh, I interacted with my children, um, that parents say some pretty ridiculous things to their kids, some really dumb things to their kids. And for those of you who who have kids, uh, you have probably uttered a few of the statements that I'm gonna mention here in a moment, even though you made some vow when your parents said it to you, like, I will never say that to my children. But given the right circumstance, given the, the appropriate amount of frustration, you will say the same things that your parents said to you to your children. Uh, for example, uh, when you have an ever-inquisitive child that will not stop asking, why, 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 And if you have daughters, it's 17 times faster than that. You will throw one of these out there inevitably, even if you said you never would. Why? Because I said so. Yeah, we had the same parents, absolutely. Um, if your child is, uh, is being exceptionally defiant and uh, you get really, really frustrated. You might throw this one in there. I brought you into this world, and I... Yeah, you threaten your kid with murder. Great. Good, good parenting skills. Appreciate that. I'm surprised people don't get locked up for that one. Or, uh, or how about this one? Um, when, when, when you have a, a child that surveys their surroundings... And as they look at a situation that seems unfair, maybe one child has a larger cookie than another child, or uh, maybe one family goes on extravagant vacations while another family goes camping, or uh, maybe maybe one family buys a car for their child for the 16th birthday, and uh, your family just reloaded your Muni card for you or something like that, you know? (laughs) Jazzy liked that one. That's good. And as your child begins to make the accusation, wait a minute, that's not fair. What do you say in turn to your child? Well, you know, life's not fair. Absolutely. We've all used that one. Now, I'm pretty sure that my parents uh, used the first two on me, um, but I'm not quite sure my mom got the memo on the last one. The life's not fair memo. Uh, My mom is here today. Love you, mother. And uh, as I shared with you before the service, uh, this is going to hit home, and I'll share with everybody else in just a moment why. But my mom is, in fact, the queen of fairness. My mom did everything in her power growing up to ensure that us as her children would never be able to issue an accusation against her that she was being unfair. And, and I mean like things that no parent would ever do, but for some reason, my saint of a mother did. Uh, my sisters and I all had very different appetites growing up. We all liked very different things. There was a season where one of my sisters loved pigs and she refused to eat bacon. And I'm like, more bacon. So my mom would literally make multiple meals for dinner to accommodate each one of her children to ensure that we each had something that we liked to eat. I know, right? What a saint. I did not inherit that gene. (laughs) Literally, my daughter, my wife made stew a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we put it in front of my youngest daughter to eat, and she refused to eat her dinner that night. And I said, if you do not eat your dinner tonight, I'm setting a timer, and if it's not gone, this will be your breakfast tomorrow morning. And sure enough, it was her breakfast the next morning. And when she didn't finish it for her breakfast the next morning, I said, listen, this will be your meal from now on, (laughs) heated and reheated and reheated and reheated until it's gone. Because your mama slaved over that stew, all right? And by slaved over, I mean she put it in a crock pot for a couple hours. But you know what I mean. Like, you will eat this thing. I didn't get that gene. Um, But my mom made sure everything was fair. Literally, every Christmas, she would ensure that all children received exactly the same value of Christmas presents to the dollar. Like if one item was on sale, she would purchase additional items for the other kids just to make sure that everybody got what they should. I can confirm right now that I actually received reimbursement checks on Christmas from my mother to ensure that every kid got what they wanted. And here we go, ready mom? She gave me a $19.44 check this morning to ensure that we were all on the right page. Like she is the queen of fairness. To this day, I still get like Easter presents. I'm 36 years old. God forbid my daughters get Christmas presents and we don't. And so she just makes sure that everything is fair. And I'm not even a millennial. (laughs) Sorry, that was a low blow. But here's the reality, okay? This is a sermon, not a comedy bit. So we will get into this now. Even though I, I grew up in this amazing environment, this little bubble where everything was fair, the truth of the matter still remains. Life simply isn't fair, right? Like some things happen that seem completely unfair. People are unfair. Not everybody is Donna Biddle. Some people are manipulative. Some people are hurtful. Some people willingly inflict pain on others and it brings them some sick, twisted joy in doing so, like life just isn't fair. We live, as you've probably experienced by now, on a very fallen, broken planet with very broken people. And often those people have the capacity, they have the ability to inflict hurt and pain and offense on one another. And and it seems like when we receive such treatment, when when people inflict pain on us, when we're hurt, when we're offended, we can buy into this ever-present temptation to lay hold of what seems to be our human right to not forgive. Say, you did X, Y, and Z to me, and it is my right to hold this against you. It's my right to remain bitter. It's my right to remain distant, Why should I have to forgive you? And it seems justified, right? I mean, in light of some of the things that some of us have had to endure, it seems justified to withhold forgiveness from somebody. For to forgive would seem to excuse the action that has been taken against us. It would be to let somebody off the hook when they deserve punishment for what they've done. So if anything is unfair in life, it would be unfair to assume that I should have to forgive you for what you did to me. It's unfair to me. So I'm going to remain distant emotionally, physically. I'm going to make that inner vow. I will never forgive them. And I'm going to exercise my right to remain bitter. It would be unfair to ask anything else of me. But what we might not realize when we buy into that lie of our fallen nature is that in so doing, we invite the exact same accusation from God himself when he looks at our life and what we've chosen to, chosen to do and says, wait, 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 wait. That's not fair. That's not fair. Let's go back to the parable for just a moment. Jesus tells this fictional story to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. And he talks about a king who was owed a whole lot of money from a whole lot of people. And one day he decides to call his servants to and. He brings this one guy in off the streets, and he says, hey, you owe me some money. According to the ledger, you owe me a few million dollars. Uh, how would you like to pay that? We have three ways to give. You can give in the boxes, you can give on the app, or you can give on the website. What would you like to do? Cash or check? And the guy looks at him and he says, Uh, I, I don't have the ability to pay it back. I just don't have it today. Um, uh, give me a little bit more time and, and I'll figure it out. And the king says, ah, I'm sorry. If you owe me this money and you don't have the capacity to repay, here's your punishment. I'm going to sell you and your family members into slavery, and I'm going to sell all of your possessions until you pay me back. And the man in a last ditch effort to to get the king to to lay off the punishment gets down on his knees and he begins to grovel. And he begs the king, he says, I promise, just, just give me a little bit more time. If you just give me more time, I promise I will pay you back, which we all know is absolutely impossible for a servant the king looks at this guy and instead of becoming angry, instead of issuing the judgment that seems right, he has mercy on his servant. He has pity on his servant. And he doesn't just offer the guy a little bit more time to save up some money to pay him back. He says, you know what? It's impossible for you to pay me back. I'm gonna go ahead and release this debt. You have been completely absolved of all the debt You can walk out of here completely free, enjoy your life. What a great story. But remember, the whole purpose of the parable is for us to ask two very simple questions. Who is God in the story and who am I in the story? And I think it's rather obvious as we consider the characters in the story who's who. God is obviously the merciful king who was owed a massive debt that could not be repaid. And the servant represents you and I. The people who, despite our efforts to try and pay back, despite our pleading, there's no way we could have made things right with the king, yet the king extends his mercy to us. And if you haven't caught on, this really isn't a story about finance. It isn't about money. No, it was about a debt of sin that every single one of us had amassed for ourselves And when we stood before the king and begged for his mercy, knowing that we could never repay that debt of sin, he said, you have been absolved. I extend mercy to you. Permit me 60 seconds, if I could, for just a moment to preach once again, the basic gospel, the good news that has saved every single one of us. Let me remind us of where we once were before we met Jesus. According to the word of God, Romans chapter six says the wages of sin is death. When you sinned the first time, when you were four years old and you ate that crayon and then threw it at your mom or whatever your first sin was, you broke God's law and in so doing, you amassed for yourself in that moment an incurable debt of sin. And the punishment for your sin was death. Jesus looked at you and said, you broke my law and you deserve death. And even on your best day, even if you spent the rest of your life trying to fix that, there is no way you could ever fix that debt of sin. Even on your best behavior, our holiness is like filthy rags in light of his righteousness. And so knowing that we had a debt we could not cure, God looked at humanity and he said, okay, I've got a plan. I'm gonna send myself in human form. I'm gonna send my son Jesus to that planet and he will live a perfect life that no human could ever live. For 33 years, he'll be faced with every temptation that every human will ever face and yet he will not sin. And at the age of 33, he will willingly lay down his life on a cross and pay the price, pay the debt that no human could have ever paid because they could have never Live that kind of life. Why? So that He could take upon Himself your sin and you could receive His righteousness instead. Romans 3 says it like this. Now we've been shown a way to be made righteous that is not found in fulfilling the obligations of the law any longer. You don't have to follow the rules. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to go to 17 classes to figure out how to be right with God. No, it says we have been made righteous by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are, red, yellow, black, white, good background, bad background, you've been saved by faith. It is his righteousness that you have inherited not because of anything you did, but because he looked at you one day with millions of dollars with a sin piled up and said, I extend mercy to you. That is the good news. Yeah. Yeah. But don't you hate it when I do that? <laughs> There's a mandate that comes with this good news. There is a requirement of us once we have received that kind of mercy. And the mandate is that having received mercy, we should extend mercy to other people. Having seen what we've been forgiven of, the magnitude of his forgiveness, we should be able to extend the same forgiveness to other people. Why? Well, I don't know if you notice this, it seems like that receiving part is easy. <laughs> but the giving part's kind of hard. We sing songs about the receiving part. There's no mountain you won't climb up, shadow you will light up coming after me. Oh God, you've forgiven me so much. (laughs) Ever sang a song about how you're going to forgive somebody else? (laughs) Probably not. Now our culture is actually really good at writing songs about how we don't forgive other people. Ask CeeLo, forget you? Forget him too. And that's the edited version. (laughs) Taylor Swift has bad blood and go down the list. We have anthems about how we refuse to forgive other people. No No one's declaring that one. But yet God requires that we extend forgiveness at the same level that we have received it. How could God ask us to do something so Audacious. Here's how. When we extend mercy and forgiveness to other people, it is proof that we understand the gravity of what we've been forgiven of. It's a perspective game. In order for me to extend mercy to someone who has hurt me, even in the most egregious ways, I must first understand how much I've been forgiven of. And when I understand how much I've been forgiven of, it becomes easy for me to forgive other people. I can forgive a parent who left our home, a father who remained absent and distant and ran away from our family and left my mom to raise the family. When I realize that I have run away from Jesus so many times and I have turned my back on him and I went away from his house for a season and I lived my own life. And when I see that he forgave me for that, I can extend forgiveness to an absent father. I can forgive a cheating spouse or a cheating girlfriend when I realize that God has forgiven me so many times for finding myself in the the arms of another lover, as the word of God says, for prostituting myself out only to forget my first love. I can forgive other people for dragging my name and my reputation through the dirt, for talking trash about me and saying stuff behind my back when I realize that I call myself a Christian, which means that I am an ambassador of Christ. I bear the name of Christ and everything I do represents him. So those times when I was hypocritical and those times when I treated someone in a way that I shouldn't have, I was actually dragging his reputation and his name through the dirt and yet he forgave me of that. So how could I not forgive somebody else for the same thing? I can forgive somebody for abuse, physical, sexual, emotional. When I realized that Jesus actually suffered in his body for me, he took a crown of thorns for every one of those mental things that was developed when somebody told me something they shouldn't have told me that his back was cut wide open and his flesh was torn from his body so that my flesh could be healed. When he was bruised internally because there's some stuff on the inside of me that I haven't told anybody about that I still harbor to this day. And he took it all so that I could be set free. And I can forgive myself when I realized according to 1 Corinthians 13, he doesn't keep a record of my sin. As far as the East is from the West, as it says in Psalm 103, he has removed my sin from me. And Isaiah says he's cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. So why would I remind myself of something that Jesus has already chosen to forget? When I see how much mercy has been extended to me, I can extend mercy to other people. And listen, I understand that there are people here today that have gone through absolutely tragic situations in life. I understand that some of the things that have been done to people in here could could actually be criminal in nature. And I am not trying to minimize what you've walked through. But here's what I'm saying. In fact, this is what Jesus is saying. In light of what you've been forgiven of, in light of the mercy that's been extended to you, even that doesn't compare. I'm sorry if that sits weird in your stomach, but that's the truth of the word of God. He's forgiven us of so much. And so he commands us to extend that same forgiveness to others. Now that revelation alone should be enough to cause us to be merciful It should be enough to compel us to do what God has asked us to do. But just in case it's not, Jesus continues on in this parable and in this story to show us what happens if we choose to continue to buy into the lie that I have the right to remain bitter and unforgiving. He tells us that this servant who was just forgiven of a massive debt from his his king immediately leaves the, 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 the courts of the king and he finds a servant that owes him a few thousand dollars—not an insignificant amount. Again, Jesus is not minimizing what you've gone through. It is a significant offense, but in comparison, it's not as much. And he looks at this servant of his and he says, "Hey, I need my money right now." And the servant, I, 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 I don't have the capacity to repay. I'm so sorry but this is a reasonable amount of money. If you just give me a little bit of time, I promise you I can actually repay this debt. It is possible for me to make this thing right. But instead of extending the same forgiveness that was just extended to him, instead of giving the same mercy out that he just received, he grabs his servant by the throat and begins to choke this guy out. He says, you're gonna pay for your debt. And he commands his guards to take this servant and place him in a prison cell to rot away until he can actually repay the debt, the small debt in comparison that he owed the servant. But then the king gets word of what took place. He gets word of what his servant has done. And look at what it says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 32. Then the king called the man he had forgiven and he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus makes it personal. This is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive from your heart. Jesus said, if my mercy doesn't compel you to extend mercy to other people, then even the mercy I've given to you is no longer available to you. Let that sink in for just a moment. Even the mercy you received, I'm sorry, you cannot access any longer. You have to be willing to give it if you're going to receive it. To the merciful, he shows himself merciful. And here's the tragedy. When you can't get it anymore, just as was the case for the man in the story, the very prison cell that you were hoping your offender would rot in becomes your residence. Here's the great irony of an unforgiving heart. The very punishment you were hoping to inflict on somebody else becomes the punishment you have to suffer within yourself. Uh, Let me show you what I mean by this. Um, I need a married couple, David and Alicia. Can I borrow you guys real quick? Come up here for me. Um, I have a pair of handcuffs here. I need you to pretend like you've never used these before, okay? All right. (laughs) Sorry, that's inappropriate. Uh, Alicia, could you handcuff your husband, please? Thank you. No, behind his back. That would be better. Good, good. (laughs) David's getting a little nervous, all right? We're working it out here. Just stay tuned. This illustration will go somewhere. There we go, got him. Okay, here's the keys for you for just a second. Please keep those close. Don't put them in your pocket. We're gonna to need to access them in just a moment. Alicia was offended by David. David did something that no husband should do. Or, he <laughs> I won't go into detail. I don't wanna bust him out in front of everybody, but there's been an offense. And because there was an offense, Alicia has made this vow. I will never forgive him for that. There's no way, there's no way I could ever see him the same. Every time I look at him, I'm reminded of what he's done. I could never forgive him. And because she has chosen to never forgive, Alicia thinks this is the scenario, that she has bound her husband with her right to unforgive, and she gets to hold on to the key and decide when in fact David gets to go free. She's like, okay, I'm going to hold on to this thing. I'm going to hold my grudge. This is my right to do. But what Alicia doesn't realize is that when she's chosen not to forgive her husband, it's not her who actually is holding the key. It's him. And I'm trying to unlock him here, but this is actually working a little differently than I anticipated. Okay. Did it hurt? I need a police officer. All right. Instead, she has to wear the very restraints that she thought she was putting on David And her offender is actually the one who gets to hold on to the key. Here's how it works. You think that your unforgiveness is, is your right to hold on to and that you're keeping that other person captive. But why is it that every time you see them, your heart starts to beat a little bit faster and your blood begins to boil. And why is it that every single time their name comes up in conversation, you just can't stand it anymore and you got to let everybody else know what kind of a terrible person they are? Who's really the captive? Wow. David's out there living his life, enjoying himself, having a great time. Awesome. Meanwhile, Alicia's the one who, because of unforgiveness, remains captive to someone who doesn't even know that she's offended with him any longer. This is what happens. And you see it all the time. You will see it during the Christmas holiday when you sit down with some family members and a name comes up or a situation comes up. Oh, you know, I just, you know, i bitter, I hate it. The very punishment you thought you were inflicting on the other person becomes the punishment that you suffer within yourself. You guys can take those home with you. All right, great. (laughs) God's design is not that anybody would be punished. He desires all to be saved and all to come to eternal life. Murderer, rapist, offender, and everyone in between Doesn't matter how bad the sin is, his desire is that everyone would experience the mercy that is abundant and available through him. And none of us have the right to hold on to any chains or any cuffs and hold somebody hostage because of unforgiveness. His desire is that all of us would take the chains and drop them at the foot of the cross and say, this is where they belong, I've received mercy and I I relinquish my right to withhold mercy from anybody else. But then he promises us that when we do this, when we lay down the chains and we choose to forgive, that we get mercy back in return. That we get the abundant, unending source of mercy for our own life. The mercy that rescues you when you make the same decision that you said you'd never make again. The mercy that you need when you dig yourself back into that ditch that you found yourself in 20 years ago, all because of one rough night. That kind of mercy. And I don't know about you, but I need the mercy of God in my life. I need his mercy every single day of my life. I need to be able to declare, as Jeremiah did in Lamentations, his mercies for me are new every single morning. I need to be able to say, as it says in Hebrews 4, I can come boldly before the throne of grace where I obtain mercy when I need it most. I am a failure and I'm not afraid to admit it. I fail every single day of my life, but I come back to the mercy of God and I say, forgive me again, Jesus. Wash me again, Jesus. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I cannot have fettered, a fettered life because I've, I've chosen to not forgive. I need unfettered access to his mercy. And so do you. And so we don't have the luxury to not extend mercy to others because we so desperately need it. So let me ask the nagging question. How am I supposed to forgive? Okay, I get it. I understand. How am I supposed to extend forgiveness to someone who has hurt me so badly? How am I supposed to extend forgiveness to myself when I know I'm probably gonna do it again? Well, here's how forgiveness is supposed to look. Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? Just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Could you keep that on the screen for just a moment? How am I supposed to forgive? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, I make a decision right now that I am violently going to rid my life from bitterness, from rage, and anger. I'm not gonna get mad when I see that person. I'm not gonna relive this scenario in my mind over and over and over again. I choose right now, I'm laying my bitterness, I'm laying my rage, I'm laying my anger. I know that it wasn't right, but I am laying those things at the foot of the cross. And I'm gonna get rid of harsh words and slander as well. When their name comes up in a conversation, I'm going to do what my mama told me. If I don't have anything nice to say, I'm not going to say anything at all. Doesn't mean I want to say that, oh, they're the best person in the world. No, they're not. Let's be honest. But I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to speak life because if I open up my mouth and I begin to speak death, I've lost access to mercy. I'm going to remain tender-hearted. I'm going to keep a soft heart. I'm not going to get calloused. I'm not going to get bitter. If you re- need to remember how to do that, go back to the first sermon in this series. How to cure a callous heart? I'm going to remain tender-hearted and I'm going to forgive just as Christ Jesus forgave me. Let me ask you. How did Jesus forgive you? Seriously, how did he forgive you? Well, I can tell you that he forgave you before you even asked for forgiveness. while you were still a sinner, as it says in Romans, Christ died for you. You weren't looking for his forgiveness. You weren't seeking it out. And yet he chose to forgive you before you even desired his forgiveness. It was a decision that he made. He also forgave you without an expectation of perfection. He forgave you knowing that you would probably blow it again. He didn't Throw this condition, well, as long as you never, ever sin again, I'm going to forgive you. As long as you never offend me again, then I will extend forgiveness. No. He said, nah, it's probably going to happen again. But you know what? I'm making a decision today for the things that you might do tomorrow. I forgive you without the expectation that you need to be perfect. And also when he forgave you, it was complete and it was total. It didn't come up later on down the road. It's not like that argument you have with your spouse, 19 and a half months ago, you did this to me. And so I, I don't know if you remember. It's not how Jesus works. Once it was done, it was done. Forgive others just as Christ has forgiven you. That's what forgiveness looks like. To choose to forgive before they ever ask for forgiveness to not expect them to be perfect from now on. Chances are they're probably going to offend you again, but you make a decision that that moment, that instant, I'm done. It's forgiven, it's complete and total. Tomorrow's offense is tomorrow's offense, but this one, taken care of. That's how we've been mandated to extend mercy. And if we do this, according to scripture, we will be able to free not just the other person, but our own unforgiving heart and receive mercy, which we all need. My land with a story. Just so that you can see how powerful this truth is. Years ago, my wife and I were um, were overseeing something called a life change event at our church. And uh, we did this for years and it's kind of a, a freedom weekend where we would talk about a bunch of stuff that people don't normally talk about in church. Uh, sexual addictions and forgiveness of, of past pains and hurts. and. Uh, you know, the, the need for the cross and some from very specific, very awkward conversations. And we'd spend three days just kind of going through people's past and dealing with some of the stuff of yesterday. In fact, the tagline was dealing with your yesterday so that you can have freedom for tomorrow. And uh, in this session, someone was teaching on the subject of forgiveness. And at the end of the session, we did this thing. Uh, called Standing in Proxy, where literally we'd have a bunch of people up front and they'd be praying for people, and somebody would walk up to the front and they would look you in the face and they would say, I forgive you, so and so, for doing this. It's a powerful moment where people were letting out into the open, for, sometimes for the first time, this offense that they've been holding on to for years. Incredibly powerful. And people would come up one by one. I had a guy come up to me at the beginning and he said, I forgive you for murdering my mom. And I'm like, Phew. he just broke. Another guy come up, I forgive you for cheating on me with my best friend. Just these powerful moments of freedom and people weeping and meeting with Jesus. In the middle of it, this young guy comes up to me in his early 20s and he looks at me and he says, uh, I need to forgive a guy who injured me when I was in high school in football. And ever since that injury, I've had an open wound on my back that doctors can't figure out how to close up. And it's caused me intense pain for the last seven years of my life. And I've had to take multiple doses of Oxycodone every single day just to get rid of the pain. I'm like, okay, let's do it. So he looks me in the face and he says, so-and-so, I don't remember the guy's name, I forgive you for kicking me in the back while I was down on the ground in that football game. I I released that today. You're forgiven. I'm looking at him and he just looks normal. Like, is that it? Like, I think that's it. Like everybody else was like all powerful and weepy. And he's just like, all right, cool. High five. See you later, man. I'm like, hope it worked. (laughs) (laughs) About 10 minutes later, the, the session is ending. And he comes walking back into the room. And he's carrying like a hefty trash bag filled with empty pill bottles. He said, I just went back to my truck. And I grabbed every single pill bottle that's been sitting in the back of my truck from the last six years, seven years of my life. And I'm ready to throw this memory away because I'm trusting today that I'm healed by faith because I've released this guy. And I said, okay. So he takes this bag of pill bottles and he throws it into the trash can. And I ask what every good pastor asks, is there any more? (laughs) And it's like, no, that's all of them. I'm like, okay. I get a call from him a couple hours later that evening. He said, Pastor Tim, I don't know how to explain this, but all of the pain is completely gone from my back. And I looked in the mirror and what used to be an open, festering wound on the small of my back has completely healed and it's all gone. And you know, I'm supposed to be the guy of faith. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's what's supposed to happen. Absolutely. like, And that's probably, he said, absolutely. Amen, brother. I'm like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, I'm gonna show you tomorrow. So we had the next session the next day and he turned around and showed me and I'm like, oh my gosh, I saw what it was before. This is incredible. That guy's going to turn 30 in a year. And for the last five years, he's been living in complete total freedom, pain free, no pill, closed up wound on his back. Why? Because in one moment at an altar, he made a conscious faith decision to forgive somebody that he'd been holding a grudge against for seven years. Not powerful, not emotional. Not like down on the ground, twitching and screaming in tongues, just, I forgive. And in that moment, his willingness to forgive released God's mercy, God's healing, and God's forgiveness to him. Let me ask you today, is there anybody you need to forgive? How long are you willing to live in pain, live in hurt, circle back around the mountain, all because you are can hold on to your right to be bitter. Let it go today. You've been forgiven of so much. Extend mercy to even the worst of sinners because Jesus already did it for you. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.